Jurgen Klinsmann didn't accept responsibility or apologize for his part in the epic failure to qualify. And as expected, this did not go over well. We want our pound of flesh. We want contrition, humility, and accountability. But just because something fails doesn't mean it's a mistake. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawson. Welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the reemergence of Jurgen Klinsmann from the wilderness. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. We'll continue with our World Cup date segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me is my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you? I am good. Another Brazil jersey today. As you can probably figure out, I am running out of other options. This was the 1998 World Cup jersey. There's only four stars on it. What happened in 1998? Refresh my memory. Uh, It's back in the 1900s. uh, I know I was there, but I I lost the final to France 3-0. That was the famous Ronaldo episode where he had a seizure and ended up playing Zidane with two goals. uh, Allegedly had a seizure, right? I think that's been pretty established at this point. How do you prove it? Well, he says it. I don't know. (laughs) Um... Now, uh, kudos to you because uh, you gave our little podcast a shout-out on TV this weekend. On Big Fox, on Homer Simpson Fox. Uh, I was talking and kind of amplifying what we had talked about last week about the the Supreme Court ruling regarding betting, and I just expounded upon it. But then I also sent the viewers to the pod to get more of the conversation that we had. So look, you you got to sell, sell, sell. And if there's an opportunity like that on Big Fox, you know I'm going to take it. Rob Stone did not seem happy. Does he resent this podcast? Podcast and what we're building here? There's a little bit of that, Mossy. Yeah. I don't want I mean, and and don't think that he is not waiting for us to invite him on the podcast. We have yet to have an actual guest on this podcast, either in physical form or over uh, some sort of uh, you know line or, or Skype type of thing. We will do that at some point in the future. There will be a guest, and the first guest on the State of the Union podcast. I think Rob is bucking for it. He wants to have that but we're just going to dangle that in front of him for a little bit. Uh, John Strong has been lobbying for a guest appearance as well. Really? Yeah. Everybody yeah. wants to be here and sit next to you. It's it's pretty, it's, it's something from the outside, uh, as, as is the case with most things. When you actually get inside and, and realize what it is, it might be uh, a little depressing and, and let you down a little bit. All right, enough of that. Should we get on with this, uh, with this show of ours? Yep. All right, let's light this candle. First up, as always, Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, the segment in which I tell you about the state of soccer as I see it here in the great United States of America. Jurgen Klinsmann resurfaced this week telling Sports Illustrated and Yahoo that he thought the U.S. would have qualified for the World Cup if he hadn't been fired and that the U.S. could have gone to the 2018 World Cup semifinals and, looking back, he would have done everything the same way. What he didn't do is accept responsibility or apologize for his part in the epic failure to qualify. And, as expected, this did not go over well. We want our pound of flesh. We want contrition, humility, and accountability. We want someone to blame, and we want that someone to publicly accept that blame. We want it because it validates our criticisms and provides comfort that the outcome could have been different. For the record, I think that Klinsman, Arena, and the players are to blame. But, with hindsight, it's easy to say you'd do things differently. Will you get some benefit laying yourself at the mercy of the public and asking absolution for your sins? Probably, but it's often disingenuous and it rarely lasts. Coaches make decisions, big and small, and they live and die by the results. But just because something fails doesn't mean it's a mistake. You want leaders? Well, leaders believe in themselves. 
I'd rather follow someone with a flawed plan than no plan at all. Jurgen Klinsmann had a plan. I'm glad he owns it and isn't apologizing for it. It may have failed, but it wasn't a mistake. All right, and that is my State of the Union for this week. David Mossy, thoughts? Well, first off, on these semifinal things, sure, if the U.S. got the right draw, some lucky breaks, were able to win a game like the Belgium game in 2014 where they got outplayed, but the goalkeeper stood in his head, is it plausible the U.S. could have gotten to the semifinals of this World Cup? Sure, but it would have been like a Cinderella run. The idea here ultimately is for the U.S. to be one of the best teams in the world and be able to go toe-to-toe with the other best teams. And Jurgen Klinsmann's job was to move the U.S. closer in that direction. And I don't don't think he did. Uh, I think if you put the U.S. in this World Cup against Belgium, they would get completely outplayed the way they did in 2014. I think he's delusional if he thinks there's any evidence over his five years in charge that that wouldn't have been the case. So I, I take a little bit of exception with that. Um, well, well, I do want to be fair. In, in reading, and, he, and he, he spoke a lot, and it's no surprise. As the World Cup gets closer and closer, everyone's coming out of the woodwork. We got books. We got uh, Bruce Arena with books. We got Grant Wall with books. Uh, books. We got everybody with books and, uh, and coming out because there's so much attention and the fact that obviously the U.S. is not going to be there. People want to know what his, thi- what his thinking is. I, I do think it's important to talk about it and to, to give some perspective as to what he was talking about. And one thing that I do agree with, he talked about how a qualifying type of situation doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to do well, and it doesn't always relate to that, and, and you can grow and then ultimately have the best version of yourself show up in the, in the World Cup. But, but do you think it was asinine, if you will, for him to say that? And does he lose credibility by saying that he believes that whether this team in 2018, and he also mentioned the team in t- uh, 2022 in Qatar, could go to the semifinal? Because I took him to task on many, many different things. Jurgen and I disagreed on a lot of different things. But uh, years ago, before the World Cup, I took him to task for not saying that the U.S. was going to win the World Cup. Do you think that it's, for any coach, and certainly for a coach of the U.S., to say that you are going to the World Cup to win it, do you think that that's, uh, I don't know, is that is that wrong for someone to say that? Not necessarily wrong, but I think the way you get there is important here. Uh, to just throw that out there, semifinal. But is it semifinal because... You, you put 10 men behind the ball and just got lucky in a series of games. I mean, you, you know that the reason Jurgen was brought in was to play a more uh, sure. proactive approach and to try to move the U.S. in the direction of becoming <laughs> one of the best teams in the Hold world, on, a team that can go toe-to-toe against the other top countries and get to World Cup semifinals that way. So I think I would have preferred him explain why he felt like things were moving in that direction rather than just throwing out sort of, a, a, oh, we could have gotten to the semifinals. But d- does he really think that the overall quality of the play was improving and moving in that direction? You're going to stand on ceremony if the United States men's national team had gone to the semifinal and had played pragmatic, bunker, counterattack, disgusting, ugly soccer. You're going to somehow uh, say that 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 doesn't have quality and that's not something to be celebrated? It is, but I think then it's something that any manager could have done. I mean, Jurgen was brought on to to take the U.S. in a different direction, but he he said a whole bunch of, let's not get hung up on the semifinal thing. He said a whole bunch of other things that I actually, some of them I agree with. He said the U.S. would benefit by playing more competitive matches against top countries. And, you know, I'm somebody that's very much in favor of making the Copa America Centenario, which we covered on Fox, a permanent competition. But I would scrap the Copa America and the Gold Cup because otherwise I think that's too many games. Mm -hmm. Just have that be the big uh, regional tournament for this. This part of the world every four years, the same summer as the Euros. Would you be in favor of that? Perhaps? Sure. And I think as we're moving forward, uh, while it's going to be in, in terms of confederation with CONCACAF, there are going to be less friendlies and more meaningful games. Now that the U.S. is still one of the big dogs, notwithstanding the fact they're not going to the World Cup, they're still one of the big dogs. They're going to be playing against teams. While they're more meaningful, they're still going to be a superior U.S. team playing. 
But the more they can play against others, and whether it's a Copa America, look, we, we've been invited to Copa America over the years, and for whatever reasons, at times we've uh, we've d- said no thanks, but no thanks. It is a great tournament. Whether it's the Centenario that was played here or just going to a Copa America, I went to two Copa Americas, and I know that I improved as a player and the team improved as a team. So we can't afford to pass up these opportunities to be playing in meaningful games against superior opponents as much as possible. And I know at times it's difficult to get everybody together. But in a bigger sense here, do you do you agree with me? Uh, when a coach, whether it's for a club or for a country, comes out and apologizes and take, takes responsibility, this, we, always, we, we want everybody to say sorry. And then when they say sorry, oftentimes we say that's, that's not good enough. Do you think that coaches should say sorry? No, I, I agree with your overall larger point. I like that uh, Klinsman is confident that he's standing by what he did and that, that he feels like things w- would have worked out okay with him in charge. I, I don't begrudge him at all feeling that way. I think any competitor, he wouldn't be the successful person he's been in his life if he didn't feel that way. So I wasn't looking for him to be all apologetic and saying he made all these mistakes. Uh, so I actually, to me, it makes sense, his reaction. Now, the other thing he talked about was the MLS season need- needing to be extended. It's funny because I look at Europe and I can't believe how little time off players have. I mean, if you're an international national player sure. your season just ended you go straight to the world cup in june depending on how far your team goes you're done with that sometime in july and then the next season starts in august and that's totally different culture than here in america with the nfl and the nba where the off season lasts like several months and so the mls has kind of modeled itself around that and i'm sure a guy like klinsman can't even believe that players have like three or four months off a year where they're doing nothing so he, he argued against that he thinks the season needs to be extended to be year around 10 11 months where do you sit on that extending mls yeah I mean, MLS is such a weird animal, and I and I love it. It's La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing, <laughs> warts and all. I I, I get that. Uh, the the fact that we have playoffs that go so long is problematic because there's so many players that for so long are going to be off. I, I don't know how. It, uh, to change it. There's very smart people that are trying to figure it out. I have no idea how to change it. Would I like players to be playing longer? Yes. But I always look at it from the business side, and I know maybe that's a fault that I have. And maybe sometimes I look at it too much uh, of the business side. The way that it is structured right now is to maximize the business. Because when the league started, you wanted it to succeed. You didn't want it to, to uh, thrive. You needed it just to survive. And in order to survive, you've got to make some really difficult decisions that maybe it will affect individuals or individual teams, but for the collective, are, the good for the, uh, are good for the collective. The other thing is this back and forth. What's good for MLS isn't always necessarily good for the men's national team. And that, that is going to be a real conflict going forward because as less and less opportunities are there for U.S. men's uh, national team eligible players – the cooperation, the coordination, and the partnership, I think, is going to get more and more strained because U.S. soccer is going to look at MLS and say, why are we doing this? Why are we helping you? Why are we supporting you when you are doing less and less year after year to help what ultimately is what our best interest is, which is a good national team? I think that's going to be a problem going forward. When it comes to, when it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann, and let's, let, let, let's end it here because he is not the coach anymore. As I said in the State of the Union, I believe that he had a plan. I don't have to agree with your plan, but I want you to have a plan. And I think for too long in the United States, we've just winged it on and off the field. And that's not something that we need to do. I want you to have a plan. I don't have to agree with it, but I also want you to believe it. Because if you don't believe in your plan, then we are screwed. You have to be the, the, the biggest believer and a true believer in what you're doing. Because players, 
And to be quite honest with, with you, everybody else, they will smell if you don't believe in it. And if your heart is not in it, if you're not 100% invested in what you believe in, then you are going to have problems. Jurgen Klinsmann was a true believer. Did it, did it work out? No. Did he fail along with Bruce Serena and these players? Yes. But he did have a plan. I always said that the change should have been made after 2014. I also said, and this is where I will agree with Jurgen Klinsmann, had Jurgen Klinsmann continued... I do think that they would have qualified. It doesn't mean that it wasn't the right decision to make in terms of making a change and U.S. soccer panicked and said World Cup qualifying is, is in jeopardy and that Bruce Arena wasn't the right decision. But I still think that they, would, uh, that they would have qualified. But I also, with this caveat, as I said before, that they should have made the change after the cycle in 2014 when it was done. Jurgen Klinsmann could have washed his hands and said, you know what, I leave this in a better position when I took it over. We did some good things, we did some bad things, but he had done no harm ultimately, and that was the point when a change needed to be made. And one last thing for me, I'd hate to not end on that note because that was a lovely speech, but <laughs> uh, one, one thing where Klinsman is not backing down on is he is convinced that the best American players who are capable of going to Europe and playing there should go to Europe. And it really bothers him this notion that, well, they should also consider uh, the benefits of playing in their home country and helping grow MLS. Uh, he just dismisses all that, which speaks to your point about MLS and U.S. soccer not always being in simpatico in terms of what's best for. So where do you sit on all that? Are, are you somebody, if you're, if you're a, you know, because there's, there's the latest now, Tyler Adams, I guess, has a chance to go sure. to Leipzig. If you're a U.S. player who is good enough to go to the top leagues in Europe and get playing time there, should you definitely go? Are, are you selling yourself short if you decide to stay in MLS because you want to help the league grow? If you want to go to Europe to play, there are flights leaving every hour on the hour from LAX and JFK and everywhere in between, all right? Getting to Europe to play soccer is not an accomplishment, okay? Getting to Europe to play soccer at a place where you are comfortable, where you're playing, uh, where, where you have a coach that supports you, where you're developing, where you can deal with the other 22 and a half hours of life uh, other than actually playing the game. All of that, that's a totally different proposition, and that is where the difficulty comes. I also will maintain this. If you're playing in MLS, or if you're playing in China, or if you're playing anywhere in the world besides Europe, it doesn't preclude you from having success at the international level, okay? The, the international game, whether it's at the World Cup or whether it's just a one-off friendly, it's a very strange animal. That's why some coaches have a very difficult time transitioning from one to the other. And what a form of a player or the form of players doesn't always translate. And where you come from isn't, doesn't always mean that you're going to have success. Now, it is hedging your bets because if you are playing in the quote-unquote best leagues in the world, the theory goes that you are at a higher level. And therefore, when you come into the national team, you will be bringing that experience and you'll bring that, that level. It doesn't always work out that way. That's a long way of saying you can have a long and successful career, club career, by playing in Major League Soccer, and you can also be a star when it comes internationally. Jurgen Klinsmann is hedging his bets as a national team coach of the U.S., as any U.S. men's national team coach would, and saying, yes, but there's a better chance they're going to be successful for me in the international level by going overseas. That may or may not be the case. But to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater and say you have to go overseas and almost force players to be overseas in order to get a look with the national team, I think you're cutting off your uh, nose to spite your face. That's the, uh, the old thing. And a coach that doesn't recognize the value of Major League Soccer, and by the way, NASL or USL or professional soccer in the United States, as it relates to him doing his job at the international level, 
I think it's misguided, and I think you're not doing the job the way that it should be done because you're taking away a whole potential group of players that could help you win games at the international level simply because you don't believe that they're playing at a level that can translate to the international level. All right, David, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, always a hot topic of conversation, even though the U.S. men's national team is going to be nowhere to be found uh, this summer at the World Cup. All right, moving on. Mossy makes the case. Oh, it's that time. You know it. You love it. Mossy makes the case. All right, this week, David Mossy, what case are you making to the people out there? Well, this is a remix of a Mossy Makes the Case I did a few weeks ago regarding Jose Mourinho. I think it's worth revisiting. This past weekend, Alex Dowd's beloved Chelsea defeated Manchester United in the FA Cup final. So United finished this season without a trophy. And after the game, two of your colleagues, uh, Warren Barton and Ian Joy, got into a spirited debate about Mourinho and United. Ian Joy called this season a failure. Warren pushed back against that. How can it be a failure? They finished second, which is their highest finish in five years. They got to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Uh, Here's where I land on this. You can't judge Jose Mourinho by the same standards as any other manager because his brand is that he's special. He's a guy that goes above and beyond. He gets you special results. That's why you put up with the ugly football, the lack of developing young players, the abrasive personality, because you're getting the ultimate winner, a guy that's going to lead you to trophies that no other manager can lead you to. And in the first part of his career, he backed that up. This guy won the Champions League with Porto. He won the treble with Inter. He led Chelsea to their first league title in 50 years. He collected trophies at an absurd clip. But since the summer of 2010, when he left Inter to go to Real Madrid, to me, that's a before and after in his career. And over the last eight years, the results have not been that special. Over his last eight seasons as manager, he's won two league titles and zero Champions League crowns. Now, is his record over those eight years one that most managers would take? Sure. Has Has he done a good job at all the clubs he's been at? Yes. But when you're Jose Mourinho, a good job is not good enough. Okay, let's first off deal with the the special moniker. It's a little misleading, isn't it? Because in in theory, there's there's plenty of coaches out there for decades and last century that have won. All right. So winning a lot, that's there's nothing special about that, right? So then you say the way that you win should be special. And you've already said that the way that he wins is anything but special. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of special because, because it is, it's not romantic, it's not pretty, it's not entertaining, it's not memorable. So should we just say that in general, even before this uh, Manchester United uh, stint, he has not been special? Or would you still call him special? Well, I think you can win at such an incredible clip that even if the football isn't that pretty, that you got to give it to the guy, which I think early in his career, that was the case. Okay, so then in this particular case with Manchester United, because I know this, and and we had talked about this beforehand, for me, as to which manager needed it more, I agreed with you in that he needed it more. Because if you are going to call yourself special, if you are going to be Jose Mourinho with this brand— where we know you can't fall back on anything beautiful or anything romantic or creative or entertaining in the way that you play, you better be able to slam that thing down on the table and said, here you go, here's your trophy, this is, this is what I do. He didn't do that. Having said that, would you, would you disagree with me when I, if I were to say that he has improved Manchester United? Oh, absolutely. Okay. But, you know, I, I'm going through this with Michigan football right now because there, there are Michigan fans rationalizing that Jim Harbaugh, well, he's been better than Brady Hoke or Rich Rodriguez. But I'm not looking for just that. When we're paying the money we're paying and, and all the hoopla around him, I'm looking for more than he's given us so far. And that's sort of how I feel with Jose Mourinho. If we're comparing him to David Moyes and Louis Van Hall, then to me, I mean, that's, 
So if they had won the FA Cup, would it have been a successful season? What did you say? It would have been better. I mean, it, it was, I think we still would have been having this debate because ultimately the two competitions, as we talk about, that most matter are the Premier League and the Champions League. But see, League. this gets back to something that we've talked about and we are going to talk about actually later in the pod here where these elite super clubs out there, both in terms of the talent that they have, the money that they have, the managers that they have, these larger-than-life personalities, these huge names, these global brands, both of the, of the teams and the players, these teams even though they're not yet playing in a Super League, they are in the way that we look at them and the way that we judge them. So here's a guy that uh, came into Manchester United, improved Manchester United. By the way, a Manchester United that has, has just gone down after Sir, Sir Alex, all right? So nobody's been able to improve them, and certainly nobody's been able to yet get them back. Neither has Mourinho been able to get them back to that level. But he's come in, got 80-whatever points. I don't know what it was in the, in the EPL. 81 points. If, if not for the ridiculous numbers that Pep is throwing up with Manchester City, and that's in itself is a, is a problem because it's Man City, it would be looked at as a very success, a successful year. But they don't win, they don't win the league. They don't win a trophy. They obviously lost FA Cup. And they bomb out, I guess, if you will, of, uh, of Europe. So uh, when I look at this, once again, I look at it through the lens of an elite super club and a super league. And in that sense, it has to be a failure. Yeah, and, and to me, there are other managers doing special things. To me, what Jurgen Klopp has done with Liverpool this season is special. To get them to the Champions League final, playing the kind of football they're playing, turning Mohamed Salah into the player he's turned him into, Roberto Firmino. What Pep has done is special, to come to England and do what people said couldn't be done, to play this kind of football and to smash all the records, 100 points and all that. What Diego Simeone, to me, is doing at Atletico Madrid is special. To, Like you said, in this era of the Super Club, with that budget, to win a La Liga title, which he did in 2014, Get to two Champions League finals. One he lost on penalties. The other he lost in which he led in the 93rd minute. Do you realize how close this man is right now to having two Champions League titles, a La Liga title, and two Europa League crowns in the last six or seven years at Atletico Madrid? So to me, there are managers out there that are going above and beyond and are worthy right now of more reverence than Mourinho. That I know bugs him, but it's true. All right, so let's get to the bottom of this. David Mossy, is he a fraud? Is he an imposter? Maybe he wasn't before, okay? But at this point in 2018, has Mourinho lost it? As, as the game passed him by, has he just, or was he, was he never what we've held him up uh, on that pedestal to be? No, that's harsh. He's still a good manager. But to me, he's that now, a good manager. There, there are other guys out there that when you consider not just the winning, but the, the football they bring to the table, they, they, to me, bring more to the table that I would rather have at, at my club than Jose Mourinho. So I don't think he's the best anymore. And, you know, the other issue, I want to get this in too, is I sent out this tweet and I, I, this weekend. I was, I was uh, fascinated by the reaction. So uh, Manchester United are now being linked to this Brazilian player, Talisca, who plays for Besiktas. And, and I said, you know, it's funny, when a Brazilian attacking player is linked to Man City or Liverpool, I'm genuinely excited. I, I want to see what Pep or Klopp can do with that player. When it's Manchester United now, I'm worried about Mourinho ruining him. And I got a bunch of tweets from U.S. fans saying, we feel the same way about Pulisic. We'd much rather him go to Liverpool and work with Klopp. There's a sense now that if you go to Manchester United, if you're a flair attacking player, that Jose Mourinho is now the worst manager you can have. And so I think, you know, that's that's another knock against them too. You know, this idea of not developing young players and not getting the most out of, you know, mercurial talents like that. So I think that's another part of this conversation. All right, I ask you a question, David Mossy. If you were starting a team, would you rather have, right here in 2018, 2018 version of Jose Mourinho or 2018 version of Arsene Wenger? Oof. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
Two, two that have kind of fallen off their pedestal. Two that were once great, and certainly according to you, are no longer great anymore. I don't want to put words in your mouth about arson, but you just went on this whole diatribe about Jose Mourinho. So which one of those two would you rather have coaching your team? Both have had moments of brilliance, maybe in different ways, but certainly in this moment, they are not associated with teams that play in anything that would be called entertaining or spectacular fashion. But I, I, I'd hold my nose, but I'd probably still take Mourinho at this point. Really? Yeah. Arson has fallen down that much for you. Wow. In, in, amazing. All right. Well, the debate continues. You tell us uh, what you think and, and where you put these different managers in terms of your top 10, your, your top five right now. Uh, am, I, am I wrong to say right now that Mourinho right now, in terms of your top, top 10 managers in 2018, is not in the top 10? Probably still top 10, but I'd have Ooh. to think about top five. I'm, I don't think, I'm, I'm not sure about top five anymore. Well, as we know, as uh, with players and uh, everybody in life, time can change everything. So we could be talking about this next year. And Mourinho, the king, the special one is back. He's even more special. All right, David, thank you again. Moving on. Ask Alexi. Yes, it's time for Ask Alexi. When you use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, and you get to us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook and all the different social platforms out there using that hashtag, we grab all of those different questions, comments, and concerns, and then we pick three of them, and our friend uh, David Mossy, if you're lucky, will read one of your comments, questions, and concerns on the State of the Union podcast. David, what do the people want to know this week? All right, first up, at JZ29, Hove, <laughs> what will it take for Pulisic to be a household name in the U.S. like Tom Brady or LeBron James? And by the way, Tom Brady is a quarterback for the Patriots. LeBron James is a basketball player for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Still playing, right? Both of them? Yes. Okay, good. You know me so well. All right, so correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but Mr. Brady is married to a supermodel? Yes. Is that uh, true? Giselle Boomchin, Brazilian. Okay, so that, that always helps. Yep. Okay, a, a worldwide global phenomenon phenomenon of, uh, of a supermodel. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that's, that's always a good thing in terms of uh, Q rating and all that kind of stuff. LeBron James, also correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe this applies to Tom Brady, is at the height of his powers. He is in the conversation for the best of all time. Yes? Yep. No? Yes? Yep. Would he be in your top five? <laughs> <laughs> LeBron James? Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, LeBron James makes the top five, but Jose Mourinho, whatever. Okay. You know, I'm going to suggest this to Undisputed. They should talk about this one of these days, LeBron <laughs> versus Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they could, they could make multiple segments out of this. So, look, Christian Pulisic, still early days as we know. No matter what he does, including probably winning the World Cup, uh, he would still be an American in 2000, and at that point it would be 2022, winning a World Cup for the United States of America. And even in 2022, if you extrapolated out what soccer has been, is, and will be, more importantly, he would still not be at the height of a LeBron James who is one of the best all-time players uh, and is continuing to play. And Tom Brady, one of the best all-time players, may go down as the greatest football player uh, ever. Certainly he's got a a trophy uh, case uh, to prove that. So no matter what, I don't think that there is anything that he can do from a soccer perspective, even winning the World Cup. And, and it doesn't mean that the world won't, won't look at him and, and love him, but he's still an American doing it in a sport that is still not, not king. So then you say, okay, well, what about the other things? I don't know if you ever have watched Christian Pulisic. As you know, we will be watching him this week. What's happening this week, Mossy? 
So we're taping this on a Monday. Uh, tomorrow night, Borussia Dortmund face LAFC in a friendly uh, live on FS1. That's uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 ah, p.m. Pacific. Nice. I, I believe uh, Keith Costigan and Ian Joy on the call. So Christian Pulisic, from a off-the-field perspective, he's not a animated type of personality. He's not going to, uh, let's say, take a stand from a political uh, perspective uh, or make any type of comments. Uh, and he's still young. He's still 19 years old. But I don't see that as his personality. So he can't do it from a soccer perspective, even if he were to do everything he possibly could. And he can't do it from a branding perspective as to who he is because he's just not that personality. Maybe he'll turn into that. But that's a long way of saying that I don't think I don't, I don't think he can do it to the extent that a LeBron James uh, or a Tom Brady can do it. it. And it doesn't mean that people won't know who he is. They will know him, but not in the way that we know what LeBron. I don't know anything about basketball. I don't know anything about football. And notwithstanding your introduction to this uh, to this question, I know who these guys are. I know what they do off the court or off the field just as much as what they do on the field uh, or, on, or on the court. So uh, I, I, don't, I think we're a generation too early when it comes to making that player, that household name on the level of the two guys that we're talking about here. Do you know which university Tom Brady attended? Well, since you're asking me the question, it's got to be University of Michigan, right? He's a Wolverine? Correct. Right. Did he win anything with the Wolverines? I uh, won an Orange Bowl. Defeated Alabama. Um, (laughs) Sure, he's really proud. Next up, at C. Kale, we're calling this person. Um, What player or players are you most looking forward to seeing play at the World Cup this year? Most looking forward to. So, as you know, uh, our fearless leaders in uh, Alex and Francis, who are behind the board and making us always uh, look and sound great. While we, we get ready for the show, we send around texts and different stuff. We're also stuff that wouldn't even necessarily appear on the show. So I'm always throwing out questions or comments and trying to rile everybody up. And so this week, I, uh, I texted you guys at a certain point saying, who is going to miss a player most? I went out and I gave five different teams. So for example, Mo Salah with Egypt, Lewandowski with Poland, Mane with Senegal, Son with South Korea, Kane with England. All right. So these, I know everybody loves the word talisman. Everybody, as soon as you get into uh, broadcasting soccer, uh, you start using the word talisman because it's a great word. It's it's wonderful and it and it so perfectly fits what these players uh, what these players are. But I'm really interested in seeing these types of players that the world recognizes are the elite and the superstars within that team. But without them, the team is something completely different. Now, are they completely different in that they are all a one-man show? And we've certainly seen that, and that certainly can happen. Uh, DDA Drogba, for example, in the past. Or are they more than just this one player? So I'm really interested in seeing those types of players and how their teams fare and how they individually accept and are able to have that weight of the entire team on them. Do they crumble under that weight, or do they rise to an even higher level and say, yeah, I am the man. I know everybody's looking at me. I know everybody's expecting me to be great, and I do it on a global stage at the World Cup. Are there, is there anybody that you're in particular looking at? I know I threw out a bunch of them there. Yeah, I mean, if we're eliminating all the obvious names. Yeah, don't do that. It's, everybody, it's, it's amazing to me that this kid isn't a quote-unquote obvious name, but it's Mbappe. I know I've brought it up on this podcast a couple times before, but to me, he's the most amazing thing I've seen since the uh, pre-injury Brazilian Ronaldo broke uh, through in the mid-'90s. So I think he could just go like Pele 1958 on us and, and just right. be spectacular. B- bigger so. tournament. 
Mbappe or Griezmann this this uh, this summer for France? Uh, I'll go. When Mbappe. all is said and done, I'll go Mbappe. You will. Yeah, you're riding it. I'm riding it. Beautiful, beautiful. That Love would be that wonderful. That would be, that he kid. is an incredibly exciting player to watch, yeah. and for him to do it at the World Cup and to have France do well, that would be that would be something to see. All right, we got another yep. one. Yeah, we do. At Jonathan KCMO, do you think Bobby Wood will come to MLS this summer? If so, which team do you feel he will play for? Where's Bobby Wood playing now? What's happening with him now? So uh, Hamburg, who have been relegated for the first time ever. They, they were the Bundesliga's only ever present club, but that distinction is done. They got relegated this season. So he probably hasn't shown enough for another Bundesliga club to come in for him. So uh, the choice is to go back down to the second division with them, go to a lesser league in Europe, or come to MLS. Now keep in mind, he made his name starring and scoring in the second division. Union Berlin. Up. Exactly, yeah. then, then coming up. So he has a track record. So I think... He will be attractive to to uh, to stay in the second division um, because he will score goals, and obviously they're going to want to get back up. I, I talked about this before. I just even before he and his team went down, I said this is a guy that's ripe for MLS. I I, I ask you, I, I, love my, I love asking you questions today. If you're DC United, okay, purely from an on the field perspective, you can sign Wayne Rooney or you can sign Bobby Wood. Who do you sign? Don't worry about selling tickets. Don't worry about your perception. Don't worry about image, all that kind of stuff, which is which is a value and fair to talk about. But, but in this particular question, just from a yeah, pure if you strip all that away, I'd probably go Bobby Wood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think you're alone. I think there's a lot of people that would say that. And that's 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 how good he is. And it's a fit. And I'm not saying for DC United. I think right now, um, LA, LA Galaxy actually have his have his rights. Now, they wouldn't get him because I don't think they could fit him in. And so a returning U.S. men's national team player would go through that system and, and ultimately somebody else would get him. But I think it's a slam dunk for any MLS team that gets this guy because he's going to run through a wall for you. The adjustment is, is not an adjustment. He's coming home, basically. And uh, so that wouldn't be a problem. Uh, he's going to cost you some money, but not a ridiculous amount of money. And I think it's money well spent. Sometimes teams just throw around ridiculous money and waste money. I think this would be money that would not be wasted and would get you a quality goal scorer who could understand the league very, very quickly and I think could be really, really successful uh, in that league. So I don't think that... Uh, do I haven't heard anything from DC United regarding Wayne Rooney, right, Wayne Rooney lately. I don't think that if given the choice from a... Uh, uh, DC United perspective that they are going to go that direction, but whoever gets Bob, uh, Bobby Wood, if he does come back to MLS, that would be an inspired signing. Well, DC saw your TMZ video and changed their minds on the Rooney thing. <laughs> Let me just say, by the way, the Galaxy need a striker for their next game because their star striker went a little crazy Did you uh, today. See Zlatan? Should we just do, should we just just hit? I mean, he slapped a player. He slapped a player. Now that is very Zlatan. But I will say this, and for those of you who haven't seen it, the Los Angeles Galaxy. We're recording this on the day that, that Galaxy actually got a win, playing with ten men because Zlatan got a red card for slapping an opponent who had backed up and stepped on his foot, and he took, he took offense to that. And in, in, in a way that only Zlatan can, he slapped the guy. He did slap him from behind, and that is Bush League, all right? If you're going to slap somebody, slap him from the front and slap him across the face. So it was a completely justified red card. It was Bush League, and um, they're going to be without him, like you said. But they went on. Kai Kamara actually scored a goal with 10 men. They got the win. Ziggy Schmidt actually, for the first time, for the end of that game and for the next game because Zlatan's not going to be there we'll get to play with what I got a feeling is the team that he's wanted to play with all <laughs> along with Kai Kamara up top and Zlatan nowhere to be found that is it 
All right. Uh, as always, uh, our Ask Alexi segment. Remember, use that hashtag. And uh, as I said, someday your question may be read right here on the State of the Union podcast. All right, moving on. World Cup update. Yes, it's time to finish up our World Cup date preview. Today, we're going to finish it up with Group G and H. Group G, if you don't know, Belgium, Panama, Tunisia, and England. Group H, Poland, Senegal, Colombia, and Japan. All right, Masi, Group G, a scrumptious, a delicious group, headed up, uh, headed up by Belgium, the perennial golden generation, and they're not, they're not dark horses anymore. I mean, we, we, we know what Belgium is. I think they have to put up or shut up this, uh, this World Cup. And obviously, England being in there. Panama, our CONCACAF uh, friends, I think are going to have a short stay uh, through the group stage and then uh, go out. I don't think that they have any chance of going through. And I don't think that Tunisia is going to give anybody uh, any problem. If I'm picking, I have England, as I said last week, finishing first and Belgium finishing second. I am cautiously optimistic about England, which means they're going to get through the group phase, no problem, and then bomb out in the 16th. So uh, what do you have? I'll go Belgium one, England two. The the Belgium England game is going to be one of the highlights of the group stage. And the the interesting thing there is the amount of Premier League players uh, on Belgium. They put out their preliminary squad today, and and my God, it's Courtois, Mignolet, Company, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Dembele, Fellaini, Hazard, De Bruyne, Lukaku, Benteke. I mean, on and on. Batshuayi technically, I guess, is back to being a Chelsea player now. So uh, it's just amazing. There's like more Premier League players on Belgium than there are in England. <laughs> uh, so it's it's that's going to be fun because all those going to have a lot of matchups players that know each other that are used to competing against each other. But yeah, I, clearly those two go through for me. I would slightly lean Belgium one, England two. England, you know, all the focus is on Harry Kane, but I like the guys that are going to be playing underneath him: Rashford, Sterling, Deli Ali. I think all those guys are primed for big tournaments as well. So, yeah, I, I kind of like this England team. Not as much expectations as in the past, but uh, I think Gareth Southgate's got something going there. I, I mentioned in the previous segment about teams that if you take a player off are dramatically changed. Uh, without Kane, do you give England a chance? Yeah, I mean, they, they would still get out of the group, I think. Yeah, okay. uh, they, I don't think they could win the World Cup without Kane. Uh, it would presumably be Vardy or Welbeck that would step in there, and to me that is a fairly big drop-off. You mentioned Panama. Boy, they're going to ride this generation. <laughs> it's You look at the name. It's Pinedo, Roman Torres, yep. Blas Perez, Luis Tejada, Perez. Gabriel Torres, Quintero. So it's all our old friends that if you've been following Gold Cups and <laughs> U.S. Panama games the last 10 years, it's all those guys. And it's just going to, as a, as a U.S. men's national team fan, it's going to pain me to see <laughs> Panama and to see what they do. Because I don't think, I, I think they're really going to struggle. I, I think that... Roman Torres, I love him, but I think he is going to get found out this uh, this summer by uh, whether it's Belgium or Tunisia or or England. And as you mentioned, it's just it's a team that I think is happy to be there, and they should be happy to be there. Congratulations to them. But I think that they look at anything that happens as golden. They're already heroes for what they have done. Um, they are and will be for the rest uh, rest of their lives, but I just don't see that they have even close to the level to be able to compete with the rest in the group. All right, anything you want to say about Tunisia? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, by the way, uh, you know, we will be going into depth and all of us that are working uh, this summer are knee-deep in all of this research, and we're not going to take up too much time here going into the nitty-gritty of Although t- Tunisia hold a nice historical distinction. You know oh, here he comes. You want to throw out nuggets. See, sure, this is what, see, this is what happens, all right? <clears throat> and, and just before you do this, and I'm going to digress here for a second. 
we're all going to go over to uh, Russia, and everybody that's worked World Cups has their, their way of doing things and everything. But it's all the first time for Fox when it comes to a men's World Cup. Obviously, we did the women's World Cup. It's our first time doing the men's World Cup. We've got a lot of people. It's their first World Cup. Everybody's all crazy and getting nuts, and everybody's just going to start throwing out nuggets just to prove how much research they've done, everything that they know. So go ahead and throw out your little nugget there. Go ahead. Tunisia, the first African nation to win a World Cup match. They beat Mexico in 1978. So oh, that was glorious. Their hats on that that. Was, it was, you know, kind of a letdown there. <laughs> after, after <laughs> but you know what? Uh, you, anyway, you put the words in my mouth. So when I say it this summer, it's going to have a whole lot more panache and and, uh, and flair. It's when you be... say it, you'll get hammered on Twitter. For <laughs> no matter what, what I dumb say, dumb stat, Lalas. dumb stat. Where'd you get that? <laughs> then I'm going to point to you. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go to the uh, the other group featuring Poland uh, as a seeded uh, team, Senegal, Colombia. And Japan. Once again, I mentioned uh, the importance of Lewandowski to Poland. It uh, doesn't take a genius to figure that out. I think that they go through. I think that they win the group. I'm trying to remember, because I've done so many different picks now, what I put for second, because I've kind of blanketed the whole, uh, <laughs> the whole table, which is a trick of the trade here. I think I have Colombia still uh, coming through in second place and Senegal and Japan going home. Yeah, you know, I'd like Poland better if Milik hadn't had all these injuries the last couple of years because I think he would have arrived at this World Cup as a star and somebody that we wouldn't be talking about Lewandowski carrying the load. They'd have another big-time striker that can share the goals with him. But but still, I like this team. Uh, Glick, uh, the Monaco center back, very good. Piszczek, uh, Zielinski, Napoli player in the midfield. Blaszczykowski's still Blaszczykowski. there. Uh, Krakowiak, I know, had a bad season with West Brom, but still. So, yeah, I like him to go through in second, though. Uh, I'm becoming very high on Colombia. Uh, at one point in this qualifying campaign, I thought they were kind of a spent force, but, you know, they beat France in the friendly in March, and I'm kind of taking a look, another look at them and feeling like, you know, James coming off a great season with Bayern, Falcon, who they didn't have four years ago because he was injured, he's there now, Carlos Baca, Luis Muriel, Miguel Borja even might sneak into the squad. He's playing well with Palmeiras in Brazil. You've got Carlos Sanchez, Juan Cuadrado, Yari Mina at the back. Not, not a great start to his Barcelona career, but still, Davinson Sanchez, Ospina. So there's a lot to like there. There's talent up and down the, the roster. There's pedigree, guys playing at big clubs, and, and enough of them, I think, are in decent form. That I'll, And I like to coach a lot, Peckerman. So all of a sudden, I'm kind of back on the Columbia Do bandwagon. you, and, and in doing you know all the research in the background, uh, it's amazing how, much, how many teams have made changes in coaches, either through qualifying and some even after qualifying, including, uh, including Japan. Does it... Does it put up a red flag when that happens for a team if you're if you're assessing it, or do you think it's a good thing to have it uh, to happen because they recognize a problem, they nip it in the bud, and boom, it's done. It's amazing how many Argentine coaches and how in vogue they are. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's uh, very concerning when you're making a coaching change this late in the game. So yeah, all, all the countries that did that, I, I don't think it's. Uh, Harbor as well. Although Japan, quite frankly, I, I like their squad too. I think they're a little bit of a sleeper. I've always looked at Japan and the U.S. as two countries whose rise have been sort of parallel to yep. each other. The J League started yep. around the same time as MLS. And now, now they, they pursued more sort of the Brazilian model, signed a lot of Brazilian players. So they tend to have a little bit more flair to their game than the U.S. has had over the year. The U.S. went a little bit more of the English model. But nevertheless, they've both been to a lot of World Cups. They both hosted, you know, Japan co-hosted in 2002, the U.S. in 94. I think the U.S. has been better they've had more success but you know not by that much and, and you, you wonder which one of those countries can sort of take that proverbial right. next step right. and you know japan gets a chance here with the u.s not in it and it'll be interesting to see how they do along those lines with that compare and contrast and the, and the similarities there's also a real um i feel like with the j league and with and with japanese soccer there's a real pride uh in the players 
and in what they are creating. Now, as you said, it still hasn't translated as it hasn't as yet to translate to the, uh, you know, to the to the higher uh, levels when it comes to both both of our countries. But it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch a a country set its mind to doing something, and it, and it takes time. It takes time, like uh, like everybody else. So that. All right, so you're, but you're saying Colombia second also? I'm saying Colombia first in this group. Whoa, Poland second. whoa, I'm sorry. I buried the lead there. Excuse me. All right, so Colombia first and then Poland. Yeah, and by the way, some people are picking Senegal as a sleeper here. They do have two players, Koulibaly, the center back, and obviously Sadio Mane, who would get into most teams in this tournament. So they've, they've got some talent as well. I've heard one or two people even peg them as sort of a sleeper to not, not only get out of this group, but maybe make a run. Well, you know you can only have two, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going with Colombia 1, Poland 2 in this group. All right, so those are the group G and H in the World Cup. And as I said, because I know you're screaming, I got all the uh, people that are Colombian and Japanese and Polish and everybody else and Senegalese and Panamanian screaming, yelling, oh, you didn't talk about this and you didn't get into that. We will get into plenty of depth throughout this uh, throughout the summer with the World Cup. Don't worry. Your team that you love, your players that you love, the stories that you want told, they will get told. America will know what's going on. And then a referee will blow the whistle and your team will lose. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mossy. Uh, we will continue with our World Cup date going forward. Obviously not uh, with, in terms of group previews, but the rosters keep coming out. Obviously, the final 23-man uh, roster will happen. There will, unfortunately, be changes. There will, unfortunately, be injuries. There will, unfortunately, be stories off the field that will impact the teams and the games and the stories that we are telling this summer. So every day something else uh, will happen, and it'll gear up and get bigger and bigger and bigger all the way to the beginning of the World Cup, which, as we know, is July 14th in Russia. And we will be there to bring you every single minute of that. And in July 13th, when that announcement comes as to where the 2026 World Cup is going to be. We will bring that to you also on Fox, and that is going to be a huge day. Fingers crossed from a U.S.-Mexico-Canada perspective that when they announce it, a joint bid is announced in 2026, which would mean the World Cup, uh, from a men's perspective, coming back to the U.S. in a joint capacity with Mexico and Canada for the first time since 1994. All right, moving on. The Back Three. All right, we're coming to the end. The back three is upon us. Some of the biggest stories and games and moments in our world of soccer. Mossy, what do we got? Let's start with the Champions League final, which takes place this upcoming Saturday in Kiev. Live on Fox, it is Real Madrid going for a three-peat against Liverpool. You don't say. What are your overall uh, feelings about this match? Are you I, excited? I am so excited. I, I think it's wonderful. I think you have a good guy and a bad guy, and the good guy would be Liverpool because of this little engine that could, and not only that, the way that they play. I think that there's a general consensus that that this is a fun team, that this is a team that deserves respect, that this is a team that entertains on the one side, you have uh, the, uh, so they would be the heroes. On the other side, you have the bad guys and the and the villains. Uh, this Real Madrid team that just has found a way through, uh, hasn't played particularly well, and yet they find themselves right back where they started for possibly the third time in a row, and possibly winning three in a row and three out of four. Three in a row, four out of five. Four out of five. Excuse me, four out of if they win, if they, if yeah, they yeah. win. But you know, right back in the Champions League final. Uh, with this team uh, led by the incredibly and always interesting Zinedine Zidane. I, I, I am fascinated by this game. Uh, if I have to go to Vegas right now and bet on it, because 
uh, as yet with the Supreme Court ruling. I, I still can't do it right here, but at some point I will be. But if I had to go to Vegas, I would still put my money uh, on Real Madrid. A couple of things. Zinedine Zidane has a big call to make. Gareth Bale has been in fantastic form the last few weeks. Uh, he's supposedly really desperate to start this game. He was kind of embarrassed by not starting the Champions League final last season in Cardiff. Uh, but it, it's pretty much uh, Bale and Benzema. Uh, he's got to choose between one of those two. The rest of the team, I think, is going to be that midfield of Casemiro, Kroos, Modric, and Isco, obviously Ronaldo, and then the back four, you know, Carvajal, Marcelo, Varane, and Ramos. But he's got to make a big call there, Bale or Benzema. Uh, so we'll see which way he goes. The other interesting thing about this game is two of your favorite players are going to be matched up against each other, Marcelo and Mo Salah. Yep. I know there's a lot of concern on the Madrid side about that because Marcelo, <laughs> we know how great he is going forward, but he's had some lapses recently. And if you do that against Mo Salah, you could be in trouble. So how, uh, how do you see on. that he, matchup? He, well, he's a left back in name only, <laughs> all right? He starts at the left back position. Even from the kickoff, he's not even there. Sometimes you'll see him. He's just kind of wandering around. And then we know once the whistle blows, he's all over the map. So... His in his mind, is he actually sitting there thinking, how am I going to stop Mo Salah? And if he is, he's not saying, well, I'm going to defend him this way or this way or this way. I think his, his response to that would be, this is how I'm going to stop Mo Salah. I'm going to go forward and make him worry about me. Now, Mo's not going to come back and, and play defense, which is where Real Madrid folks get worried. But sometimes your, your best defense is a great offense, and that's what, he, that's what he does. And if they're able to put enough pressure and win the ball back quickly enough... He can, in essence, negate and neutralize Mo Salah simply by doing what he is doing. So I don't think he has any other way to do it. I've never seen him really get down and say, all right, I'm going to really defend here and be a left back and, uh, and just shut down this guy. That's just yeah. not what he does. It's not in his DNA. Great tweet I saw recently. Is you've heard of a false nine. Marcelo is a false left back. <laughs> but, uh, exactly. That's, yeah. that's, that's but exactly actually, Keith Costigan, super Liverpool fan I yep. talked to today, made the same exact point you made. He's more worried about it the other way. Marcelo bombing forward, teaming up with Ronaldo on that left side. And Salah is not a guy that's going to drop back and help defend. So that could create some problems problems for Liverpool. So I asked you earlier in the podcast to pick between two coaches. Between these two coaches, who would you pick? That's tough. I love them both. Klopp and, Z and Zidane. The, the, the Mossy makes the case today was once upon a time going to be about Zidane. Now, Arsenal made a hire uh, today that we're going to get to in a minute that kind of blows up this this uh, line of thinking a little bit. But th there had been some Thierry Henry to Arsenal buzz yep, yep. in the last couple of days. And it got me thinking about, is the success that Zidane and and Pep before him had, like, really swung the pendulum now in favor of hiring, like, great players, even if their managerial experience is flimsy, and just assuming that that, that footballing acumen and leadership as a player is going to translate. Seems to be very in vogue right now with Steven Gerrard getting the job at Rangers. Uh, Xavi uh, apparently has already been, been groomed to take over Barcelona uh, in the near future, and you have Zidane and Pep, but I thought Thierry Henry may be at Arsenal. Is this kind of a trend we're yeah, seeing? Yeah, but you're, 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 you're mentioning elite teams, all right? Go hire a World Cup legend, a, a, a world soccer legend, and have them go coach a mid-level team or a, a lower-level team fighting for relegation. And then we'll see what, what kind of coach is that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that Zidane isn't wonderful, okay? But it's a very different type of coaching. And I think if you are that iconic type of player and then you become a coach— I would think it would be easier to do it at a super club and an elite club where you have all of that talent and where you know just by throwing the ball out, you are going to win a good percentage of your games. And I'm not saying that they just throw the ball out. That's not what I'm saying. So hold on to your tweets. and <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But it's a very different proposition for Zinedine Zidane coaching Real Madrid than it if it is he's coaching, give me that name, what is it, Stoke? Is that usually who we 
revert sure. to. <laughs> now, Dortmund and Liverpool are hardly mid-level clubs, but in this era of super clubs, they're not necessarily the elite of the elite. So for, from Klopp's perspective, to get to a Champions League final with Dortmund and almost win it, he lost a close game to Bayern, Ian Robin, remember, late winner, and then now get into another final with Liverpool. That is a major achievement, and it'd, it'd be great to see him win one. I love what Klopp. What Klopp has done, yeah. take away the whole persona, and that is a, a big takeaway because even that I love. I, right, I right. love who he is as a person. I don't know. Look, I don't know him as a person to be quite honest. I love the the image of what he is and the personality that I see on television. So I don't know if he's if he's the same off, but he has single-handedly restored Liverpool, all right, in terms of the way that it is viewed globally. And and certainly the way that that I look at it right now. I care about Liverpool now. Is it at the lofty heights that it once was? No, but in this moment, it is so much better. And, it's, and it brings joy to so many more people now. And that's because of the way that he has put this team together, and not just put it together, but the way that he has given them license to do what they do best, individually, and collectively, and it's and it's wonderful to watch, and he deserves a tremendous amount of praise. and And I hope that that his team doesn't go out there uh, in the Champions League final and just with a happy to be there mentality. You're you're there, give them a game, but give them your game. Don't adjust. If you're going to go down, go down being Liverpool because that's what got you there, and that's what people love. What else? What else? What else? All right, next topic in the back three. Uh, the U.S. men's national team has a friendly coming up against Bolivia, and they've named their roster for that game. Uh, Christian Pulisic is back for the first time since the qualifying debacle. Uh, plenty of young names, you know, yeah. Timothy Way, who started for PSG this past weekend, Weston McKinney, guys like that. So overall impressions of the roster? I mean, the U.S. national team right now, um, it, it is – it is such a mess, and, and uh, my friend Peter Vermes, who has uh, done incredible things at Sporting KC, actually had an article this week, an interview in uh, Soccer America, and he took to task the United States Soccer Federation for what are they doing, what have they done, what is the plan? And so when I see this team, that it's young, that's great. It's what, is, it's what should have been done all along, and it's what should be done. But once again, it's a lame duck coach. Because uh, Dave Sarakin is not going to be the coach. I love Dave. If you're listening, Dave, he, you know it as well as I do. And more importantly, they still haven't named a technical director. And maybe they're waiting for the summer. But it, it's just, we're, we have got this emergency break on. And I want it to be let go so that we can actually go forward. We have just wasted, I don't know if it's wasted, but it, I think it's wasted. We've wasted an entire year. And whatever silver lining there was, it has gone away. So I'll watch it, and we'll get excited, and there'll be some players that might do well, and certainly Christian Pulisic, it's fun to see him because I think he is going to be the leader and certainly part, well, maybe not the leader, but a huge part of this core of young players that aren't burdened with this past and don't have this baggage of not making the World Cup. And rightfully, that, that should be because I don't want them burdened with that. I want them taking ownership and saying, you know what, it's our watch now, and it's not going to happen on our watch going forward. And this is, we keep saying it's the start. This is not the start. This is, I guess, just the continuation, or this is just a, a gateway to what will be the start if and when they name that technical director, and then he or she names who they feel is appropriate as a coach. 
Right. What else? Last, uh, this was going to be sort of a miscellaneous European weekend review. This was kind of the last big weekend in Europe, uh, but Arsenal kind of crashed the party here. Uh, so let's start there first, then we'll get to the weekend in Europe. So uh, big news today, uh, they are going to hire Unai Emery <laughs> to be Arsene Wenger's successor. Coughing or laughing? Uh, it's, it's a combination of both. The water went down the wrong uh, pipe there. Uh, it has nothing to do with Unai Emery. So if, if Unai, if you're listening, uh, please, uh, it has nothing to do with you. You, you. you seem like a very nice guy and a very good coach. So I apologize. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, what were you saying? So the reaction here has been decidedly negative, which I don't agree with. Uh, I don't think it's like that exciting of a hire. If I was an Arsenal fan, I wouldn't be running down the street doing cartwheels right now. But it, it's better than Mikel Arteta or some of the other names I've read. I mean, Unai Emery is a good coach. Listen, mm-hmm. that PSG situation is is pretty close to unmanageable. I mean, we've talked about this. You get no credit for anything you do domestically. It's all in the Champions League. He's gone out to Barcelona and Real Madrid the last two seasons. So you're judged on like you know one or two Champions League knockout games. Yeah, but, but the you guy, know it going in. You yeah, have no, all the money that you which want. Is you why, have wonderful which is why talent. I really question Tuchel going there. I think Tuchel could have had his pick here. He could have perhaps ended up at Arsenal, and and instead he go, well, went to letting, PSG. Why are you letting PSG coaches off the hook like that? Wait, to me, it's a weird fit, for, especially for a guy like Tuchel, who's this intense day-to-day tactician. To me, they need more of a players manager, like a Heinkes, Ancelotti, Zidane, a guy who just sort of has a knack for pushing the right buttons in these big Champions League games, a knack for winning Champions League titles. Emery was a weird fit there, and Tuchel as well. But let, let's get back to Arsenal. Uh, to me, the guy is a good coach. If they had hired him two years ago, coming off all those Sevilla Europa League triumphs, they would have been, uh, you know, sure. commended for making a smart hire, this up-and-coming guy. And now, two seasons at PSG, where, like I said, I don't think he did anything that wrong. All of a sudden, people are treating this like it's some terrible hire. I, I don't, this is I don't rumored see. to be uh, hired, right? It's, not, it's there's enough smoke there. That, okay, yeah, uh, our producer Alex Dowd has signed off on this. Something that's <laughs> well, all right, happen. then we're good. we're good to go. Well, congratulations yeah. then, Unai. Well, well done. So, what would have been? Because you said it's not exciting, it's not well, sexy. So, what? Would have been. The, the, the issue here that has some Arsenal fans upset is they apparently scared off some bigger candidates by they're they're only going to give the incoming manager fifty million pounds to spend this summer on new players, which in this current market it isn't that much. And so, like the Allegres and Luis Enriquez, apparently that was a deal breaker for them. If you're not going to give me, there's pl- tons of work to be done here. If you're not going to give me more money than that, then then this is not a job worth taking. So Emery apparently coming off of PSG was happy to kind of get back in the game here and take over a quote unquote big club. So he didn't mind that. Apparently that wasn't a deal breaker for him while it was for other so yeah somebody like Max Allegri to me that would have been a home run choice a guy who's reaching Champions League finals with Juventus but and do you think that they're not giving the money because from a, a fiscal perspective that you know they just they don't believe that that's money well spent uh, or do you think that it's because they believe that the talent is there they just need someone to really be able to uh, get that talent to play yeah I think you know they, they spent uh Nice chunk of change in getting a Bamayang in January, and they also bought Lacazette in the summer. And, and they feel like they've they've spent, and and that squad is good enough now that if they brought coach in the, right, the right manager, coach them up exactly. I think that's their their view of it. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Unless it was Simeone or something like that, nothing was going to feel amazing, right? right I mean, right. And, and the Arteta thing, and or I I would have loved to have seen Patrick Vieira. And I know I'm a little biased with the, with the MLS background, but I just think that the experience that he has gone through. By the way, there were rumors linking uh, linking him to going back to France nice. this week to Nice. Whoever gets Patrick Vieira, I think, is getting a incredible coach because I think the experience that he has had right now really could benefit. Uh, whether it's Nice, uh, had it been Arsenal, that really excited me. And and it wasn't just because it was a reflection on MLS, but I do think that the MLS experience, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think 
if and when he starts talking about how it changes has changed him as a coach and as a person, I think you're really going to see how much he has valued it. And the unique experience that he has had as, is going to make him already a better coach than a lot of these people that we're talking now, about. Now, on to this weekend. We had all these emotional farewells across Europe. Yes. Iniesta, Fernando Torres, Gigi Buffon. But none of these guys are retiring. They're just playing their last matches with their current clubs. Now, Iniesta and Torres, it sounds like, are going to go to like China or uh, Middle East or, or even MLS, I right. hate to throw in there. But kind of leagues where, yeah, it does feel like sort of the winding down of your career. Buffon threw a curveball here. He's apparently going to sign with PSG, a two-year contract. So he's still raring to go here to you try to why? win a Champions League title. Are you, you, know you surprised why? by that? Because uh-huh. unlike you, he's not afraid to go to PSG. <laughs> he's not afraid to say, yeah, I know we're going to win League 1. I know that we're only going to be judged on a certain amount of games, but I am going to take this team to the promised land because that's what Gigi Buffon is. Now, I posted this question on Twitter. Uh, you know, it's been this sort of feel-good story the last year. Oh, can Gigi Buffon finally win the Champions League? Now, if he does it with PSG, you are the most hated team can in the world. Imagine? How do you reconcile those two emotions of seeing Gigi win it, but maybe not liking the fact that PSG G won the Champions League. How, how, how's that going to play? I just, I want to see him playing someplace else. I think for such an iconic player, and, and still, and he's a goalkeeper, so it's a whole, totally different type of conversation with goalkeepers. He can still help. Uh, he can still win. He can still star. And I hope this happens because... I want to see what he looks like in a completely different situation. Yeah, and, and people evidently don't understand the meaning of a hypothetical question because I got a million responses explaining to me why PSG aren't going to win the Champions League. I didn't say they were. I was like, if they did, how would you feel about it? But a few people actually answered that question. Let, let me end on this. I know we're going long, but a couple of things I do want to get to. There were a couple of Champions League spots in top leagues that were still up for grabs this mm-hmm. weekend. Marseille, who you called the Europa League final, they had another crack at it this weekend, and they, they, they did their part, but Lyon... Uh, won the game needed to win thanks to a Memphis Depay hat trick. He's had this incredible rejuvenation. So Lyon get the last Champions League spot. Isn't out he of another France. one that uh, Jose Mourinho and, destroyed? Exactly. Okay, just checking. And then the, the big game this weekend was Lazio Inter Milan. Lazio only needed a draw. Inter Milan needed a win. Inter were down 2 1 late. They came from behind and won 3 2. Now, uh, a key play in this game Stefan de Vrij, a Lazio defender, committed a penalty, and that's how Inter got one of their goals. Stefan de Vrij has already agreed a deal to join Inter next season. So there was all sort of consternation Ooh, in the Lazio camp this week. Do we even play him in this game? They right. went ahead and played him. He played well overall, but he did give away that penalty. So Lazio fans are furious, accusing him of it. I mean, how, do you, how, do you, how would you have handled that? I mean, could you have played in a game for one team knowing that you've already signed for a different team? And mind you, it's not like there's a trophy on the line, anything tangible he's getting out of this. It's purely something for next season. So it's clearly in his best interest for Inter to win this game. How mentally, I mean, I know... He professional but how how do you yeah, handle that? that that's a tough one i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't even know how to handle it i think ultimately you you recognize that when you're stepping on the field you are still being paid and supported by this team that has given you that opportunity that's coming later and you live up to that commitment and that faith that they had in you by doing everything you possibly can in that 90 minutes to have your team win and let the chips fall where they may now that's what I say. <laughs> uh, and that might be the mindset going on the field. But you get in there and you start thinking and thoughts start swirling around there. It must have been an incredibly difficult and strange approach to, a, approach to the game. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that he's leaving. 
And he's going to Inter, who are going to be in the Champions there League. We go. And by the way, Cardi converted that penalty. That's the last goal you'll see him score in a while because he was left out of Argentina's World Cup squad. Oh, it's it's fun playing that game of who's getting left out and uh, and going through you know all the, the different teams and you know teams like France that can you know have all this incredible quality that they don't have to. It must be nice. It's a luxury for a lot of these teams. Something that the United States has has not had over the years, but something to aspire to. It would be wonderful if we are arguing about who ultimately gets picked. And we have to a certain extent, but certainly not the way that other teams have. All right, that's it for uh, the back three. All right, so we come to the end of yet another episode of the State of the Union podcast. We always end with my one big thing from the day's podcast. And usually, and today is no exception, we go back to something we talked about earlier in my State of the Union, where I talked about Jurgen Klinsmann and his comments uh, regarding the failure and the burden of responsibility that he does or does not share. We talked earlier about how I believe that in all walks of life, and certainly when you are a coach, I want you to have a plan. I can't tell you the amount of times in in life and in soccer that I've gone into a situation where um, there hasn't been a plan, and you wing it. You can get away with that sometimes. Uh, And sometimes good things come out of that, where you just kind of make your way and figure it out. But I believe that if you are truly working on something, working on a plan, building something, you have to have an idea of where you're going and how you're going to get there. As I said earlier, I don't have to agree with it. You're the one that has to agree with it, and you have to get the people around you to buy into it. You're the one that ultimately has to believe that this is the right path. And you are going to make decisions along the way, and you will suffer the consequences and reap the rewards of those decisions, as Jurgen Klinsmann did. But this constant need, not just in soccer, but in life, to have people apologize. And I know I have, I have kids, and we talk about the importance of being able to recognize your mistakes, being able to say you're sorry, and the effect that that has. And oftentimes, it's done just to elicit a reaction. And as I said before, Oftentimes, it's disingenuous, and it's done just to make others feel better, when inside, the person that's apologizing really isn't apologizing. And so, in that sense, I liked what Jurgen Klinsmann had to say. I liked that he believed 100% in what he was doing. That's what you want from a coach. That's what you want from the next U.S. men's national team coach. You want somebody that comes in and says, we are going to that mountain And I know which mountain we're going to, and I know how to get you to that mountain. And here is the plan. And either you're with me or you're not. And being with you doesn't mean that me sitting in front of a microphone, doesn't mean that the American outlaws, it doesn't mean that people writing, uh, it doesn't mean that the general public has to be with you. The people that have to be with you are the ones that are going to carry everything. And those are the players. And that's the people that you have to win on. Now, if everybody else is on board, that's great. That's wonderful. But it's not necessary, ultimately. You got to have someone that says, this is what we're doing. I hope going forward that whoever it is says, this is my plan. This is what we're doing. And I believe in it. And I'm not going to apologize for it now or tomorrow. It might work. It might not. But it's my plan. And whether we fail or not, it's going to be based on the decisions that I make. 
Hopefully that happens going forward for the U.S. men's national league team. And hopefully it doesn't end in failure. Hopefully it ends in success. And certainly, hopefully it ends in a much better place uh, than where we are right now going into this World Cup where, need I remind you, the U.S. men's national team is not going to be a part. All right, we come to the end of another show. Mossy, the people can get to us, as always, on the uh, the old social media machines out there, Twitter, Facebook. What's your Twitter again? At Statman Mossy. At Statman Mossy. You can find me at Alexi Lalas. Uh, use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, because when you do that, we are able to amass all of these different comments and questions, critiques out there. And as I said earlier, we may use one of those on a future episode of the State of the Union broadcast. All right. Enjoy what you're doing this week. Be safe. Be happy. uh, And we will see you and uh, talk to you again next week on the State of the Union podcast. As always, size the day.